Hey, my friend, I want to thank you for coming on and listening to this podcast. It's exclusively about camp crafting, traditional camp crafting skills. And to that end, I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't invite you to join the Traditional Camp Crafters Guild. Now, the Traditional Camp Crafters Guild is a incredible community of people who like camp crafting skills. If you're thinking bushcraft, hiking, backpacking, uh, just, uh, you know, whittling away around the campfire, setting up tents, things like that. You know, all these things are combined. So if you are ready to embark on a journey into a timeless world of traditional camp craft, then look no further. We are thrilled to invite you to join us. Now, what this community includes is network opportunities. Connect with fellow enthusiasts and seasoned experts passionate about traditional camp crafting. There's exclusive events just for the members. You can gain access to members-only gatherings and workshops designed to elevate your outdoor skills. And of course, we have roundtables with question and answer sessions. Engage in insightful discussions and pick the brains of industry leaders during our interactive sessions. And there's an incredibly large and ever-growing resource library. Unlock a treasure trove of guides, tutorials, and resources to enhance your knowledge and expertise. And what kind of guild would we be if we didn't have skills development? You can hone your craft with hands-on training and challenges and guidance from seasoned camp crafters, ensuring you're prepared for any wilderness adventure. So don't miss out on this chance to immerse yourself in a community dedicated to preserving and celebrating the art of traditional campcraft. All you have to do is go to honorableoutfitters.com forward slash join the guild. Again, it's honorableoutfitters.com forward slash join the guild. You can check it out for five days. There's no obligation. It won't even ask for your credit card unless you decide to continue. So go ahead, poke around and see what you find. And we can't wait to have you sitting around the campfire with us with your cup of coffee, hot cocoa, or warm tea, or whatever it is you drink. We are waiting for you. All right, sit down, grab that cup of whatever, and let's get going on this week's episode. Yeah, and where you live, you have mountain lions. Yep. Yeah, I've had a mountain lion, I don't know, 30 yards from me a couple of times. Hi, thank you for joining me today on Campfire Chats with Honorable Outfitters. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Richard Harleman coming from way out west. Now, Richard, just like myself, is a fellow YouTube creator, and he is a reenactor, a living historian. He's a camp crafter, bush crafter, and he lives off grid. And he's come all the way from out west to join us and uh, teach us and discuss how he's grown in all of his amazing skills that he's acquired over the years. And that's what this whole channel is about, is listening to others, engaging in awesome conversation with fellow campers, and uh, seeing how we can grow as campers as well. So, Richard, I really appreciate you stopping by. Now, before uh, we dive into his background, I always want to make sure to say thank you to our patrons on Patreon, because without their support, this channel just wouldn't exist. And, you know, we got to have someone to help pay the bills, and our patrons certainly do that. Now, Richard lives on the wild side of life with horses, dogs, goats, and chickens while also doing his own style of historical bushcraft, focusing on the 1860s. And uh, 
it's interesting. He didn't list his lovely turkey. Now, if you watch his channel, especially recently, he's got a turkey friend that follows around like a loyal puppy dog. So when you check out his channel, you'll definitely notice his big old turkey. All right, let's bring Richard on. Oh, Richard, you're you're in the jail. What happened? Yeah, well, they let me out on occasion, especially for special occasions like this. Oh, that's so cool. Where are you at? <clears throat> I'm in a ghost town called uh, Shanico, and uh, this is the old jailhouse. So there's uh, three cells there. If you can, if the lighting will work, my head get out of the way. But uh, yeah, this is the old jailhouse. It's one of my favorite buildings because back when we were kids. Well, we were teenagers, and we'd come down here to do gunfights, and uh, this is where we would sleep at night. So, good memories here. Wow, what a cool opportunity, man. Now, have you been, you know, in your historical dress even for that long, ever since you were a teenager? Is this a, a new thing that you do every day? Well, I could. I, I wish I could say that when I was a teenager, I had the right historical clothing, but it wasn't until um, I think four or five years ago that I figured out how inaccurate my clothing was when I discovered the uh, who wore what page uh, on Facebook. And that's when I started uh, figuring out that I had a lot to learn and uh then I got my correct outfit from learning on there. Now, now, since you brought up, you you had to learn. When I found your channel uh, a couple years ago, you were you were doing everything just like the old cowboys did, and you and you even you were very open about it, like your failures, your successes, and you would talk to us about those awesome opportunities. Uh, at one point, I remember you even uh, decided to just jump in the crick with all your clothes on and everything in early spring, which I thought was nuts, but you did it. Yeah, and, uh, you just wanted to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of that getting in the creek. That's a good summary of how I do things. I just jump in and kind of see what happens. Yeah. There was snow around. What in that started one. it? What's that? What started all that? All of this? Um, yeah, it's a funny thing. When I was like 13 or 14, somehow I had uh, what I call my personal renaissance, where uh, for some reason I just started taking a liking to the old ways. Uh, I, I read, I think I kicked it off with reading um, uh, Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, his Tom Sawyer book. And then after that, I read uh, the Laura Ingalls Wilder, Wilder series, which a lot of people might think is a girl's book, but her pa is like the ultimate man. And so uh, right. it, there's a, a lot to be derived for men. And as a boy, I read that stuff. And, uh, and at that time, my mind it's kind of a weird thing now looking back, but everything I looked at, I, I, I thought in terms of, well, did they have it back then? Because that's the only thing that I want in my life. Unfortunately, I kept putting off the, the lifestyle until recently. Well, six years ago now, I guess when I finally realized, you know, I'm just getting older. I got to do this if I'm, if I'm gonna. So I just jumped in. 
man, that, that's amazing. When I, uh, I think the first comment I left on your video was, man, like, man, you are living the dream. Uh, now, did you already have the skills for the most part to jump into it with living history experience or camping experience or anything like that or professional experience? Not a lot. What I did have was when I was 16 years old, I got involved with the uh, mountain man rendezvous group in in my town. And uh, I got, fortunately I got under the wing of this old guy uh, who has since passed away. His name is Vic Joso, a Frenchman. And uh, he, so he, he took me to the rendezvous with him. He got me deals on stuff like my Baker tent, which isn't the correct tent, but at the time I didn't know that. And it was white canvas. So I, uh, so I had all my own gear and I'd camp near his wall tent because I wanted my own camp. So I guess that would be uh, it. That was when I learned how to use flint and steel, which, uh, you know, once you've got a fire and a, a bed figured out and how to cook over fire, which I did back then too. I used a Dutch oven. So once you got those basics down, then you've really got enough to just start doing stuff. That's how I see it. So why'd you start out with the rendezvous? Why not civil war? Why not world war one or two? Or I don't know why, why rendezvous? Uh, the mountain man era more appealed to me. I'm not a military type. I don't like the structure. I, I don't understand beyond beyond preserving history because I like all history. I do not understand why guys do right. the military stuff uh, when you could just go out by yourself like I do and, and do. But some people are different. Uh, I don't like the so the mountain man stuff that appealed to me because that's more animal like or more wild. And uh, <laughs> when I found out, I bought a. I bought a little black powder pistol at a gun show and the guy told me about rendezvous. So I went to a turkey shoot and, uh, and from there, that's where I met Vic and, and we got started doing the mountain man stuff. Man, that's cool. Now your, your channel is all about, um, living off grid and it's, it's a neat blend of the historic, with the contemporary and in today's society, I think there's a lot of people who are really wanting and desiring, or at least drawn to that kind of lifestyle. Maybe not the history aspect. I don't know. I'm a little partial to that, but the, the living off grid aspect, like you, you recently, you're, you're figuring out how to preserve meat out in the wild, like out in the open. So um, how, if you were to give somebody some advice and, where to start out in that direction, what would you tell them? In the direction of, of meat? Of living off grid. Oh, living off grid. Um, well, the way that I look at it is first simplify your life. That's the main thing. Um, that's why, because a lot of these off grid uh, channels that are on YouTube, the way that I look at it is it's like they're trying to take city life and make it rural. Uh, where, right. I mean, what's the advantage of that? I mean, especially like, well, we got to have our AC and our freezers and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, then just stay in town. It's way easier. And it's probably cheaper to just be connected to power, in my opinion. I mean, I know I do get the draw of wanting to be rural. But uh, to me, 
simplifying your life. Because to me, it's all about freedom. And uh, you don't realize how bound you are until you start letting go of things. I'm a very um, sen- sentimental person. I mm-hmm. love keeping keepsakes because it brings back memories and I just go down those memories. However, I've had to let things go. And that's been a process of learning to let things go because instead of living in those memories, which is fun, it start looking forward and you can't do that when you're bound. And so simplifying my life has been huge by um, for one, getting rid of stuff. And uh, for two, um, learning that you don't have to have a different meal every day. Um, for thousands of years, people <laughs> ate the same things day in and day out. Uh, I eat the exact same foods, every, well, uh, roughly the exact same foods every day. I bought myself some soy sauce and barbecue sauce as a luxury item because I, I love making a sauce out of it with olive oil uh, and then black pepper. But I don't need it for a long time. For months, I went without it because I was minimizing my food so that I could minimize anything that I had to buy. And uh, and so if you start, even if you're living in town, if you start recognizing your patterns and cutting out what's not essential, uh, then you start streamlining mm-hmm. it easier. Another a great example is I haven't used shampoo in my hair for I think I did once on accident because muscle memory has taken a shower, but uh, basically the last right, year right. or two, I don't know. and uh, you'd be amazed. My hair doesn't stink. Trust me. My mom would tell me and I hug my mom when I see her and my mom's honest. Um, and she would tell me, cause that's a lot of, a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, it probably stinks. And you just don't notice. No, people would be telling me I have trusted sources. <laughs> And uh, other people have started doing it, too, since I, I gave the example and other people have done it and they've found that the, the solution, that the uh, results are great. So it's things like that that you, you discover that you don't need to hang on to and um, you can actually let go and then it makes it simpler when you're living off grid. What's your background in education? Because uh, you said you got involved in history at a very young age at 16. Did you go on to college? Are you a self-taught? You know, what's what's your story in that area? Oh, man. Well, uh, so I was, a, I, was, I was an exemplary student up until, oh, second grade. And... Uh, <laughs> And then uh, in the ninth grade, I dropped out of school because um, I'm going to brag a little bit. This occurred to me. In the ninth grade, my English teacher for literary class used my uh, setting description that she gave the class as a challenge. She used mine as an example. In welding class, the first time I ever used an arc welder, the teacher used my puddling as a technique for how it's supposed to be done. And um, in my science class, it was an advanced science class where the teacher told us work on this problem. And I thought it was a weird joke because the the answer was obvious. And so he used that as an example of guys. Yeah, he's got the answer. That was my schooling experience in the ninth grade. And I know I'm bragging a little bit, but I, school wasn't for me because 
it, it, my learning style just didn't fit with the rest of the people. Um, and that's not to say that I'm smarter than other people. I just, I pick up on things that people don't pick up on. Other people pick up on things that I totally just miss and I look like an airhead. Um, the, just that the schooling system was not fit for me. So I quit in the ninth grade. My mom attempted to homeschool me. Mostly I wanted to just go and be a man. And so mm-hmm. I worked with, I worked with my dad. My dad had a, a sawmill operation where we made survey stakes and tree spreaders. And so I worked with my dad and got to interact with men and learn how things happen. And, uh, and then my mom got mad and made me go to college. And, uh, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that the hands-on experience must've really helped you though, with what you're doing now, right. It set you up for success. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I learned a lot. I hung out with men. I didn't like hanging out with people my age because I couldn't learn from them. And uh, yeah. So, oh, but I did go back later and I got my two year degree. And uh, I did. I did love school when I went back then when I was a little older. It was a lot of fun. And what was your degree in? Oh, just a transfer degree, just a two year community college degree. Okay, nice. You know, I'm going to uh, let you know on a secret here, Richard. So I'm a teacher, as you know, and a lot of my viewers know I'm a teacher. And when I graduated high school, my class size was 78. And I'm pretty sure I graduated uh, at 76. So <laughs> there's hope for all of us. <laughs> but I really, I really do think that... um real life hands-on experience goes far above and beyond book knowledge. I really do. You know, and I think you're a testament to that. Um, I think anybody who watches your channel can clearly see the ability, the education, the knowledge that you have, and you don't stop. You're, You're not satisfied with basic knowledge. You're constantly trying to learn more and new things. Yeah, I appreciate that because I sit around thinking I'm an idiot all the time. So. <laughs> Everything I'm doing, I'm learning, and uh, it, but uh, so I appreciate that. Now you're uh, off grid homestead. You have horses, and in fact, I love watching your horse videos. I used to have a horse myself, so I, I, uh, I long for that again. Mm-hmm. But you have horses and you have goats you have chickens you recently have a turkey who's your best friend um where did you start with horses or you know if someone who's wanting to get on the off-grid lifestyle uh how should they you think start out with uh animal management Uh, well i can tell you what i figured out in my view but then granted I'd like to clarify that my philosophy, I call it, let's see if I can point at it, over on the wild side, (laughs) intentionally. (laughs) Because my thing is, um, I once had this cocker spaniel, and I told her we lived out on the river on 35 acres and uh, just tons of trees and everything. I told my dog, I said, Anywhere you go, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to do it barefoot because I was barefoot at the time. And uh, 
So my dog took off as if she knew what I said. Like as soon as I was done talking, she just took off running and I followed her. I followed her all through the thorny bushes and across the Creek and everywhere she went. And that's, that's the style. I, I look at my dogs and I'm like, how can I simplify my life and be like a wild animal? Um, so that's important. The reason I'm saying that this is because I have a very different goal and a different philosophy than most people. Uh, like I said already, that a lot of people just want to replicate a city life out in a rural setting. Right. And right. Not all of them, and some people do get more rural in that they raise their own animals and they garden. And I respect that, but um, uh, it's a different philosophy from mine because. Uh, for instance, I decided I didn't want to garden because I've learned some mm-hmm. wild edibles that grow. And um, if I did grow anything, one of the important ones for me is leafy greens. But back home on my property, I looked around. I had 30 acres of leafy greens already growing. And so nice. I, saw no reason, yeah, I saw no reason to garden. And so, so I just wanted to clarify that that's my philosophy. So as I, as I share, mine is a more simplified than most people. So for instance, chickens are great because you get eggs and protein, but on Uh the other hand, they're, they're, they're dang expensive. It's cheaper to go pay whatever. I mean, I can get eggs for a, a dozen for three fifty or four bucks, and so it's almost cheaper and easier to just buy eggs from somebody else than it is to buy corn and chicken feed. Because now, unless if you want to raise worms, and uh, there's a lot of insects that you can raise for chickens, then you don't have to buy the feed. But that's the problem with chickens is they're a lot of months. They're the most expensive animals I've had. And, uh, but I'm such a mm-hmm. sucker. I just, I love chickens. So I kept them around. <laughs> and, uh, while my horses are out eating grass on property, that's re- going up in equity. And so the horses helped me increase my personal, um, wealth while my chickens are just an expense and might give me eggs <laughs> Two years. This year, I'm finally starting to get one egg reliably. So, oh my, yeah. So I have a lot of different views than most people. I wouldn't recommend getting horses. Do not get horses unless you want to do the old west thing. Uh, even if you want to pack, get a camel. If I could start it all <laughs> over again, I would get either a camel or or maybe I would do two alpacas or I would just do. Um, three or four goats for pack animals. Um, There's a guy named Aaron. He, he, uh, he lives nomadically. He travels with his little wagon and he's got four sheep that he pulls his wagon with and he gets milk from those sheep and he gets wool and he makes stuff out of the wool. So that's way smarter than having horses. The horses are just the childhood dream and the history aspect for me. And how how long have you had horses? Did you start as a kid with horses? No, I wish. I wanted to. When I had my personal renaissance, I wanted to buy a horse. A horse and um, 
you know, I still remember this guy telling me, yeah, you're 16. When I was your age, I just wanted a car, not a horse. <laughs> and, uh, but all I could think about was getting a horse. But I didn't have any support. I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't have the confidence that I have now just to jump into things. Um, so I didn't get a horse then. And then I, I lived my life. And then uh, in 2015 is when I bought my first two horses. And, um, and then I had eight that were running wild. I've done things with horses that other people think you can't do. Um, for instance, uh, out at one of my properties, I figured out that I could let them run wild. And um, mm-hmm. so they, they pretty much stayed in a 300 acre area, even though the gates were down and the fences were down and they could have run to Mount Rainier if they wanted to. But I found that uh, they chose to stick around and that 300 acre playground was basically what they stayed in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. When I was uh, in, oh, I think I was in college. Yeah, I was definitely in college. Uh, so I was probably oh, 19, maybe 20. And I, I, my mom, she's, she's always loved horses. So she wanted a horse. She was getting into the age. She's like, Hey, I want to have a horse one last time. So she takes me to one of the um, Bureau of land management auctions where they had the Mustangs and she got a horse and I'm looking at this other horse and it was just gorgeous. Just, I felt like he was calling my name. So I adopted a Mustang from Nevada and he was like a big puppy dog. But I tell you what, man, if you're a horse person listening to this, you'll relate to this. You know, uh, I'd pick up his feet and every time I pick up his back feet, especially the first time he would boom on the, the stall right behind him just to let me know that he could kill me anytime he wanted to. And then I'd smack him on the bottom and I'd lift up his feet and he was OK. But we had an interesting relationship. I. I had to get rid of him. Like you said, I was young. I was in college and horses are not cheap. So, yeah, so that's my horse story. I had him for a couple of years. Green broke him, rode him around a little bit. And he he was an experience. I love him. I hope he's doing well. That's pretty <laughs> so, impressive. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so let's uh, shift it a little bit. Let's talk about camping because a lot of your videos, especially when um, – spring hits and it's warm weather and stuff you start putting a lot more uh camping videos whether it be packing a horse and going out in the mountains and stuff now the camping you do is very traditional very traditional um how's it how's it like not taking sleeping bags and just relying on a couple five pound wool blankets when it's 30 degrees or colder well it hasn't been too bad uh a big part of that has been conditioning my myself to accept the cold um so really when i when i go on an actual camping trip i'm i'm not that uncomfortable it was more when i did my brief series of tarp tents that was uh, on my property in it was somewhere between five and 10 degrees at night Fahrenheit. Uh, that's when I got cold, but I, I was pushing the limits on that intentionally. That's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I don't have two blankets. Okay. So I, I got to clarify though. I like to be super upfront about everything. Uh, real traditional 
practice that I read about is guys taking one or two wool blankets and sleeping right on the ground. Um, what I have is a canvas tarp, and I always have at least three or four blankets. So I got to say, um, that I got to clarify that because <laughs> uh, I'm really true to the, the history, and I, I am aware uh, when I break from it. So that's my practice because I put two blankets under each saddle, my riding horse and pack horse, and then I've got uh, two tarps for packing my gear in, and then I use them uh, for my bedding. So uh, I love it, though. I love the simplicity. Uh, I love the dual purpose that I can put the two blankets under the saddle, and then I'm not carrying extra gear. Because like I said, if I could, I'd rather be like an animal. I envy my dogs who can just go, and they, <laughs> they like to dig a little hole and sleep in it. And I have to carry stuff, so. Are you planning any upcoming spring campouts that same way? Yeah, definitely. I'm working on it. As a lot of people know, I'm in Oregon, which is a new area as far as going out and camping. And I haven't abandoned abandoned home. I still have tons of places I want to go and ride there. But uh, while I'm here... Uh, I'm looking for places that I can go. And I think I have two good routes now, both of them going to rivers, one being the John Day River, the other one being the Deschutes. And uh, I got to go explore them. Yeah, one of these days I want to get down there and check them out and see what kind of route I have. And then I have a new challenge in that I'm training Barley Mash to be my riding horse and my mare to be my pack horse until my mare is rideable and she'll be my riding horse. And so that's a new challenge for me. So my trips might start with me walking most of the time, but uh, I I hope to get out camping very soon. Now, when you uh, go on your horse treks, do you end up taking like a couple bags of feed for the horse or do they just uh, forage on the, the grasses and the fodder that they can find? Yeah, they just forage. Uh, there's actually a ton of grass available. Yeah. When you go camping out, you know, you usually take your dog from what I notice, but have you always gone camping with one of your animals or do you go camping at all with just by yourself? Let's see. I always go with my animals and there's a reason for that. I'm trying to think if I went without a dog once. Seems like I did a hunting trip where I didn't have a dog, but um, I don't think so. I think I've always had my dog uh, because they're my uh, defense. Like my dogs, they are very territorial, and so they keep the animals away at night. And uh, honestly, I, I think the people who camp without dogs are impressive because I'm so used to them. Uh, I wake up, they wake me up at night and I, I was bringing my spotlight with me. It's like a gun, it's got a trigger. So the dogs wake me up, I grab my gun and my spotlight and I'm uh, ready to go. And then I quit bringing my spotlight because obviously they didn't have those back in the 1800s. And uh, I really rely on my dogs. Uh, I'm kind of jealous because I, I went solo camping once and it was probably the most uncomfortable camp out 
I've ever been. I'm kind of like you. I'm, I'm kind of impressed with those who do the solo camps. But uh, I think it was in the fall I did my solo camp. And there were coyotes all around, and they're yipping and howling and stuff. And I did bring my 38 just in case. But really, that didn't give me too much peace of mind, to be honest. Like, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And where you live, you have mountain lions. Yep. Yeah, I've had a mountain lion, I don't know, 30 yards from me a couple of times. Oh, a few times if you count at my other property, but at the one property, uh, had mountain lions. I did see one night when I was hunting and I had my dogs and I had my spotlight at that time, there was a cat walking on a log. I don't know if it was a bobcat or a cougar, but it was a wildcat. And, uh, yeah, camping alone is just not my thing. I, uh, having the dogs is great. If you like this video so far, we'd appreciate if you click like. That way other people find it. You'll be doing them a favor. We really appreciate it. Now, what's your favorite type of camping? Do you like backpacking? Do you like using your horse? And as far as tent or, or shelter, what's your favorite shelter? Yeah, my favorite camping is when, when I went with one horse, honestly. And that's because my horses are not trained really well if i had two horses that were um like Bo, Bo was my main riding horse and i've got a video of doing a solo trip with him and that was my favorite because i know how i can tie him and um and he's strong enough and i i go with a enough, light enough gear that it, I, I didn't weigh him down so it was the simplest when i've taken two horses then it's just more work trying to find them mm. food and uh and keeping one of them tied that doesn't tie well yet because he's young um but that would be my favorite uh, uh oh and then my favorite shelter is the cowboy camp as as it's called where just as simple as can be i've got my whole camp now set up where i put my firewood where i put my food set up and i put my um teapot my pot my bed my bed is just laying down the tarp and then if I'm using any foliage to stay warm, put put that under the tarp and then lay down the tarp and lay down the blankets. But most of the time I can get away with just blankets because I got four of them. And so just as simple as can be. You mentioned in your videos before the kind of wood that you have in your area is usually not a hardwood. It burns up hot and fast. Do you use backpacking stoves or, or some other type of artificial cooking methods besides fire traditional yeah fire. yeah i got really good last year at uh cooking over wood because all year last year even through the heat of the summer i never did start using propane i just uh cooked over wood so i got pretty used to being able to know okay i need i'm gonna need about that many sticks and um and i got my cooking done and i figured out that if you sit six feet or more away you know just treat it like covid then you uh, <laughs> then it doesn't bother you because it's uh, it's hot enough. You get away where the heat doesn't affect you, so you just go over, fill it with a little more wood, and when you have to, and that's tolerable. But nice. yeah, that was at home. When I go camping, if there's burn bans, because I live in a dry area, then I uh, my method has been an alcohol stove because 
there's no O-rings involved. It's just a little can. And uh, then you just bring alcohol that I used to be able to get at the dollar store. And uh, it's super simple and it's pretty lightweight. So that's my go-to when I can't do firings. Now, knowing you, is this a homemade alcohol stove or is this a, a manufactured that you purchase? Absolutely homemade. It's the cheapest one I could find. And then I figured out <laughs> you can go even cheaper. Honestly, you can just get. Um, so the one that I use is called the Fancy Feast, if you want to look up videos on it. But they told me to I had to get this special cloth. I think it was welding cloth that you line it with. And it's a good design. It takes Fancy Feast and the tomato paste can and this cloth. The cloth kind of works as a wick. But uh, I've also. I, I've tried to see how simple I can go. And I took uh-huh. like just a tuna can, just throw some dirt in it, add alcohol and light it. And that works as long as you're not you know, putting your stove right on top of it. You, know, you got room. So just a tuna can with the dirt and alcohol. And I might try doing that again this year. And uh, it would make it a little bit wider than the tomato paste can. <clears throat> Yeah, I would have never considered using dirt to wick it. Yeah, it worked great when I did it. It's been a few years, so I need to do it again, make sure it's up to par. Yeah, you need to show that in one of your YouTube videos, man. Like, that's cool. That'll change the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I should. I'll uh, I'll get a tuna can and and practice and demonstrate it. When you were younger, you said you hung out with men. You're uh, you worked in the uh, the lumber mill industry, things like that. So you were pretty self-reliant. You you grew up with a self-reliant mindset already. Did your dad teach you how to camp or did you go camping with your family? Uh, where, where is that? Yeah, my, dad, my dad didn't. I mean, when we were kids, we went camping, but you know, that was totally dependent on my dad. He'd just set up a tent and mom would lay out bedding. We're just kids. Um, and we just did campground camps and that was a ton of fun, but no, um, mostly it was just trial and error. Like, um, one error. The first time I ever camped alone, I went up to a lake with my German shepherd and, uh, I set up my rendezvous tent. Um, and I got, Oh, let's see. No, actually, I was comfortable that night because I cut a bunch of furbos and made a bed, and I was pretty comfortable. It was when my dad and I went to that same spot, and I didn't check the weather or anything. Where now, I I, I, I watch the weather uh, really close, and I, I, I yeah, anyway, uh, it got cold. It got dang cold that night, and uh, like it was just miserable. And so I figured out, so that was one of the errors. And then, uh, so when I went and made the furbo bed, I was warmer, but I never really like watched how cold it got. That's what I do now. Uh, big time is like, okay, it's going to be in the twenties tonight. How much gear do I need to be warm when it's in the twenties at night? And okay, tonight it's going to be in the teens. So what do I need to do different? Uh, and how much is my body adjusted? Last winter, I stayed in my teepee for a long time. I was quite proud of myself. Um, it was got, getting down into the teens, and I was still sleeping in my teepee with no fire through the night. So I'd get up, just get out of bed, and oh, start wow. a fire. 
And um, so you watch the temperature and figure out what you need. So now if it's going to, as long as I've got a rough idea of how cold it'll get at night, I know what I need to take with me. Wow. That's that's a lot of experience then to get to that point for sure. I'm I'm not at that experience level. No, 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 no. And I thought I do a lot of camping, but I think your lifestyle really has given you the edge on that one. Yeah, you know, I used to sit I used to sit in my cabin by the fire and uh it'd be blowing or snowing outside and I'm thinking I need to be out in that. I need to be camping in that. It took me a few years before I actually got to getting out in intimidating that's for sure i mean hypothermia and and uh, other cold sicknesses that's that's no fun <laughs> yeah i went slow like um you know first i started living in my cabin but i always had a good warm stove so i'd sit there with the door open but uh i'd go outside and i'd get used to the weather and then um and then i started i don't remember when i did my first outdoors I guess I stayed in my teepee when I had it set up down here as an Airbnb and, um, and just, I kind of started doing it gradually. And then, uh, then I saw a cold night would be coming up. And so I, okay, I'm going to give that a try. And then the more I did it, the better I got adapted and figured it out. Now there's a, a thing that you keep bringing up is getting acclimated or getting conditioned uh, to it. So I think that's probably some pretty solid advice to those of us who want to do more um, long-term cold weather camping or um, maybe just uh, even if you're starting out, you don't want to jump into it. You want to acclimate yourself. Is that what you would suggest too? I do. I think that for me, and I kind of think it's common for a lot of people, you know, it's fun to watch all the um, the bushcraft videos and camping videos. But then the, it's like we put our own uh, weight on our shoulders of, oh, that's how I have to do it if I do it or else I'm a phony. And once I got rid of that stupid mindset, all of a sudden doors opened up. And I try to convey that people for whatever my opinion is worth. I, I really want people to just have that freedom. So, you know, go camping, set up your camp and have your car or truck, whatever, right next to you and and give it a try. And if you find you're too cold, that's a learning experience and that's a growth. And get in your car and get warm. Um, there's no shame in that because then you go home, you process and you think, Okay, what did I do wrong? What do I, what do I want to do different? And then you take your car and camp next to it again, and hopefully that night you stay in, you stay out all night. And if not, no shame. You know, you just get in your car, and um, and I think that if people felt that freedom, they they'd they'd be able to get out more. Um, another thing I like to tell people is don't even go camping. Just get out and bring whatever stove system and and coffee making system you're going to use and just go out and do that. And you're going to have a great day. You're going to have an awesome time of learning. Even if you fail, you've, uh, you've figured it out and your brain will go home and process. And that's very counterintuitive to what we learn in society. And this is where you start training your brain to be independent and um, self-sufficient is going and processing and then making corrections. And that's all 
you'll be doing that for the rest of your life. But that's where the freedom comes. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Uh, I did a survey on my YouTube channel a while ago about what is it that kept people out from camping. Mm -hmm. And of all things, it was time. And I'm thinking, like, man, that's kind of a hard thing to try to to solve for people. But I think your suggestion of, like you said, even if it's just out beside your car, you know, everybody's pretty much got a backyard. They might not be able to go to a state park or they may not have property or something like that. But just getting outdoors, maybe you mean your back porch, maybe you don't even have a tent, you know, you just go Mm -hmm. on your back porch and lay out there and and see how far you can make. That is fantastic uh, advice, I think. I appreciate that one. That's that's good. That's a gold nugget, I think. <laughs> yeah, just a piece of plastic in the backyard. That's that's a great idea. Uh, and when I was saying you, I didn't mean like you I and mean, whoever's watching. Um, uh, but yeah, right in the backyard. <laughs> there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that are aware of the bushcraft videos where the people are camping in their backyard. But remember the difference there is because those people are pretending like they're out in the wilderness. That's where the shame comes from. Uh, If you're in your backyard and you're admitting it and then, then there's no shame in that because you're just being up front. It's those guys that put off as if they're doing something that they're not. That's the one that um, people have an issue with. Yeah, I can agree with that, man. Like, there's got to be some uh, honesty in, in all of it. And uh, I, I wonder if some of those bush crafters, they, they set up their camp and they have the camera on where they go to sleep. And then after they get done filming that, they, they go back home and they come back early in the morning, get <laughs> wrapped up in their sleeping bag or something like that. And they're like, oh, what a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really makes you wonder. <laughs> so, so what was your favorite all-time campout experience, your favorite adventure that you would like to share? You know, I'll say a weird one. Uh, so my favorite, I don't know if this would be my favorite, but it's the first one that comes to mind. When I was camping, I think we were about 150 yards away from my cabin. It's the series I already referred to when I was camping out in five or 10 degree temperatures. And um, right. I was camped right out in the wind. There's something, anybody who's camped knows this. There's something about suffering that uh, is rewarding. And that was the hardest times I've had. And yet it's my favorite memories. And one time, so my my um, rules for myself there was it was a successful overnighter if I slept, if I stayed in my camp until I think it was 4.30 a.m. Because that's when I was waking up anyway. Every day I would wake up at 4.30. So it's not like I was waking up extra early so I could leave. But for those, those were experiment practices for me. So as long as I stayed till 4.30, I considered myself, okay, I've achieved what I was hoping to do. And then one time I actually had to, I couldn't, okay, so when you wear Old West clothes, you wear a long shirt, you wear suspenders, 
And then you got a vest with about 10 buttons on it. And uh, so on my trek back to my cabin where I had no fire, I made sure my fire was out. So it wasn't warm in my cabin. Anyway, I didn't even make it to my cabin because I couldn't go any further. I had to stop and go number two. And so, so I had to do all my buttons really fast because it was coming on quick. I had to undo all these buttons. I had to pull my vest off, pull my suspenders off, get my five buttons on my trousers undone, and barely did it in the nick of time. But it was about 10 degrees or 8 degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind was blowing, and I was just there totally exposed, (laughs) doing my thing. And uh, that's one of my favorite memories. And then I had to, then I went on home to my cabin, started a fire with flint and steel and my wood stove. And, and it was just so rewarding. And then here's the clincher. Uh, here's the, um, <laughs> the final part of that story. So then uh, I was going to go camping and I was at in the front of my wood stove. And I thought about going camping again outside like that. And inside of like my heart or whatever you want to call it, I had this like leap of joy, like, Oh, cool. Because I can do, I can suffer and then come back to my wood stove and have coffee. And you can't enjoy your wood stove and coffee unless you, the way that I did, unless you struggle through the night. And um, I don't know, it's just a weird experience. Yeah, I think that's some life philosophy right there at the end, man, where you said you can't enjoy it unless you go through some suffering. I think that's pretty deep, brother. I really do. That's, there's You dropped some truth right there, I think. Cool. When you mentioned that <laughs> it was a, a weird experience and it's weird in part because you suffered and because the suffering is stuck with you and it's more enjoyable. I, I'm a scout leader and when mm-hmm. I, I took my scouts to camp out uh, in March, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was the one camp out where they were supposed to light their own fires with three matches and it's been raining all week. When we get there, the ground is just soggy. You're walking and it sounds like you're walking on sponges, you know, and the, the scouts are just miserable when they're supposed to make this fire. Now they're having fun when they're splashing around in the puddles and stuff. But man, when it came to actually making that fire, they were just miserable. Like, man, can we just go home? Can we just go home? I was like, no, because you may hate this right now, but your shared misery will certainly be one of your favorite memories. And if nothing else, you'd be cursing out your old scoutmaster about how he made you do this and that that shared enemy will help you out. <laughs> so how'd it go? Did they get a fire started? Oh, no, man. No, no, no. And it was, so they missed their breakfast. It was coming up on lunchtime and they're about ready to miss their lunch. These kids are like starving. They're about to turn on me and uh, steal my car keys or something. So we ended up giving in and, and gave them some fat wood and, and help them light some fires and stuff so they could get their lunch. But, you know, it, it was a learning experience because now this next time, like, man, next time we're going to bring our own tender. You know, we're going to bring all this dry stuff. We're going to come prepare. It's like, there you go. That's a lesson. Yeah. That's a lesson. And they're not discouraged. They want to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Good. they want to do it again, and hopefully it is better weather because 
I mean, it's it's a hard task for a kid to to build those skills and finding the right size sticks and making feather sticks if nothing else. And it's just for a kid, it's it's all pretty hard. So I was pretty proud of them for what they did do, and as long as they did it, I don't think I could have pushed them any harder. You know, like that's a success, like you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's rough rough time right then. Now, before we close up, um, you have a fantastic YouTube channel. You really do. I, I love watching all the stuff you do, all the experimentations that you do for our sake so we don't die. You know, you you take all that on your own shoulders. You're very upfront. You're very honest. And you know, we were talking about the bushcrafters who may be a little fake and everything. But even when you're doing the series with your tarp tents, you came back and you admitted your mistakes. You admitted like when you called it early, things like that. Like I, if someone is, that's listening to this and watching this, like they and they want honesty, they want to see an experience that is way above, in my opinion, the level of like alone or something, because mm. you're teaching them. You are teaching them. Mm. Uh, if there was one skill, one important skill that you have that you think people should learn, what would it be? Uh, for for camping? Sure. Let's go with camping. You can go camping. You can do your, your off-grid living your lifestyle, man. Like, cause you live it. You're starting a fire every day to make your coffee. <laughs> like us who just turn on the stove and we got it. It's boom magic. Yeah. Okay. Except right now I'm using propane. I'm living in my cabin with propane. Uh, just want to clarify that. I ain't living. Yeah. Yeah, it is <laughs> really convenient. Okay. I would say the most important thing that I find that and it encompasses all of it would be uh, simplicity. Um, when I started getting into camping, like serious, like I am now, um, I was so overwhelmed. At that point, I wasn't focused on doing it historically. And I was so overwhelmed by, oh, I've got to have this. I got to have this. And I watch a video and, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I got to have that. Where... Like I'll, I'll give an example real quick. Um, I don't think I've ever taken a hatchet or tomahawk with me on a camp trip. I might have once. Yeah, I think I did once or twice because I was specifically doing something to use it. But otherwise, all of my camping, I never even use a hatchet or a saw or anything. But man, if you watch these YouTube channels, they'll tell you, oh, you got to have this saw and this hatchet. And then you got to have a backup because one is none and two is whatever. Well, I just carry one knife and um, just don't lose it. And I mean, okay, I'm not going to get into that. But the point is the simplicity. Um, I can I use fires with wood that I can break and um, and you can get some pretty decent branch wood and branch wood is denser anyway and makes better firewood. Um, And then simplifying the food don't. The, the bushcraft videos have no appeal to me where they're showing pictures of all this impressive food that they bring because I just think you're bringing fresh meat and fresh vegetables where, I don't know, that just doesn't appeal to me. So if you simplify it and get used to um, not spoiling yourself and 
find one or two luxuries to bring along with you. Like for me, mine is coffee. Um, that, that, that affects and improves life in every aspect is my opinion. It's simplification. That's, that's pretty good advice, man. Now, since you brought it up and since there's my channel's kind of heavily gear focused, historic gear and stuff, you mentioned your knife. What's your favorite knife that you like to use? Oh, darn. I don't have it on me. Um, it's my, uh, it's a Sheffield butcher knife. It's a six inch blade and a wooden handle. And, uh, I like it because for one, it, it spans fur trade era up until modern day. And so, uh, it's a good knife where I don't have to buy multiple. It's a good steel and, uh, it's a good size where I've butchered horses and, um, uh, a full full grown horse with that knife, uh, cut off the legs, cut off the roast. Um, so it handles everything. It's big enough to be used as an effective weapon if you need it. And, um, and it only cost me 25 bucks. They're $40 now, but, uh, super effective, traditional, and, uh, does everything you'll need. You can't beat English steel, man. You, you really can't. It's good stuff. Most of my uh, straight razors are all English steel, and I just I adore it. All right, what's your uh, favorite piece of equipment? And it can't be a knife. Can it be a gun? Oh yeah, sure. Could be a gun. What what's your what's your favorite gun? I mean, I'm just a gun lover, so I mean that's my that's my favorite anytime. Um, I can't narrow it down, so I'll just show the one that I've got on me. I've shown it before, but um, I like this one because uh, it's very tiny so it's very minimal if you can't tell i'm into minimal uh, it's not super high powered so it's not really effective for a lot of things but i can wear it all day and it, i don't even know it's on my belt where my uh, peacemaker type revolver does get heavy after a few hours so uh it's a beautiful gun and it's um, lightweight and so i love it is it a 36 Oh, sorry. It's a uh, 31 caliber. It's the eight, 1849. Okay. I forgot to say, I, I apologize. It's the 1849 uh, Colt pocket revolver. It's the most sold gun. It, it was his most sold revolver up until he came out with the, I think the 1873 model. I've got a, I'm a Remington guy myself. I got an 18, six. What is that? An 18, is it a 63? Mm. The pocket one. No, it's the new army, the new Ar- civil war guy, you know? So I, oh. is that a okay, 63? Well, they call it a 63, but it's actually in 1858. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. So it is the 1858. Uh, no, 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 no. I got it backwards. Army. I'm sorry. They call it an 1858, but it's an 1863 or 62. I apologize. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll give it to you. I don't now. I don't even know. Maybe I'm just talking out my butt. But, no, no. They, but it's a. The, I like the Remington. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful gun. That's what I used to use at the uh, rendezvous. Um, I'm bummed because it's rusted yeah. now and I can't use it. It's a sweet revolver. I bought my revolver at a gun shop and it, it had a little tag on it that said parts. And I was like, man, it's 75 bucks. That's, that's pretty sweet. I'll see what I can do with it and nothing else. So I, I brought it home and I was tweaking a little bit. The, um, the trigger, 
that has like a little notch that the spring catches on. It was, I think, filed off to make it a, a rapid fire. So I went ahead and I put a, a little bit bigger notch in there and it worked wonderfully. I love it. Oh, you, know, you can drop the cylinder out a lot easier than the Colts, you know, because of the wedge. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, those are sweet revolvers. You still have it? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. I love it. 45. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I got an 1873 Winchester because as a kid, I always wanted a 73 Winchester rifle. And it's not the correct, uh, it's not the correct caliber. caliber though, because I got a 45 here in Ohio. You got to be careful about what you hunt deer with big game. Cause they all have to be pistol cartridges. So I went with the 45. Nice. Yeah. I want to do the same fun gun. Yeah. And those 73s, I tell you what, I've been looking at them on gun broker and they might be the most beautiful lever action made. Yeah, they're nice, man. You can't put a scope on them. Uh, I think they make like a special piece that you can uh, do it so that when you cock it, the bullet can expel out. But since it expels out the top instead of the side, you, you got to get like a special piece for a scope. But I don't know. You guys like you and me, we don't need scopes anyways. Nah. <laughs> All right, Richard, before we uh, log off, is there anything else you would like to share with us or anything uh, you'd like to say? I think I hit on the important stuff. Uh, really appreciate what you're doing. I love your channel and how uh, you're preserving history. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate everything you're doing as well. Folks, you got to good on YouTube. You got to check out over on the wild side. Check out Richard's full catalog of videos. And there's no way you can't learn something from watching this man. He's so knowledgeable. He interacts with his people. He's got two Facebook pages. Uh, one's his personal one. So if you don't want to get offended, stay away from that one. But he has another Facebook page that is just, he, he shares all the little updates that he's doing throughout his life. It's funny. That's how I found out about his turkey friend, which I, I feel bad because I, I kind of neglected mentioning your turkey friend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's your new dog. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Richard, for joining us today, folks. Make sure to like and subscribe. If you're interested in any links like to Richard's channel, you can check the description below. You can also check the show notes if you are using this on the podcast. Uh, Richard, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful week, man. And I'm going to catch you next time. Sounds good, my friend. Now, If you are unaware, we are actually starting a monthly newsletter that you can subscribe to the link is below in the description box on youtube or it's in the show notes so make sure to check that out now there's some serious value that's going to be in this monthly newsletter you're going to get a bunch of pictures updated guest lists so you know exactly who's coming up and you don't want to miss a thing and a bunch of tips tricks and of course suggestions on how to spend your money wisely that way you get the most out of your outdoor experience but even more so the suggestions to get outdoors and enjoy the time that we have. And don't forget to check out Richard's channel over on the wild side. It's on YouTube and he's got a fantastic catalog that you just don't want to miss. We appreciate you guys joining us. We hope you guys have a wonderful week. Give a kiss hug to your loved ones and we'll see you guys next time. Take care.
Thank you, my friend, for spending some time with me today. I hope this episode was pretty useful to you. Uh, one of my goals in life is to try to get as many people out in the woods, especially developing their traditional camp crafting skills and you know, sharing my love of history along the way. Now, in case you didn't know, I have a very growing and diverse way of trying to reach that goal. One of those is my website, www.honorableoutfitters.com. Now on there, that's kind of the hub of everything that's going on. I also wanted to let you know that I have a monthly newsletter. Now, the monthly newsletter, again, it's not spam. I put a historical articles with tips and tricks and things like that on there. All you have to do is just go to the description box or the, the show notes, and you can find a link on there to sign up. And I don't sell your email or anything. It's literally just to give you guys more value. And to that end, on my website, I also have a very vast library that I learn a lot from. And I want to pass on some of those traditional skills and knowledges onto you by offering that. And of course, invite you again to join the traditional Camp Crafters Guild because that is where you will find your kind of people. And that's kind of hard, especially as adults. Sometimes it's difficult to find people who like traditional camp crafting. And to that end, the Traditional Camp Crafters Guild was born to deliberately put people together to network, share knowledge, and hopefully get you out in the woods with others just like us. So again, thank you so much for spending time with me. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Give a kiss and hug to your loved ones, and I will see you guys down the trail. Take care.